remain standing as we go through Proverbs chapter 14 today and give attention to the reading of God's word. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, at the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge at his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is in the heart of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, you have set your love upon us, your people. Of all the mountains you have created, you chose a particular one 
to dwell in and among, your Mount Zion, your people. Yes, you have chosen to dwell with us, your bride, the one whom you have loved from before the foundation of the world. And you have gone before us, your people, and have fought our battles. You have conquered our enemies. Yes, you have now ascended on high, and you love us so much that you have given gifts to us, gifts that equip and edify us one to another. These gifts you have given build us up and are useful in our sanctification. And we praise you for the best gift of all, your word. And so as we hear your word this day, open our ears and open our hearts to its cleansing power. Work out your salvation in us this day and conform us into the image of your son. For we pray all this in his name. Amen. You can be seated. So today we're focused on verse 30. Uh, here it's a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And so this theme today will be on envy and, and what is it. Uh, before I get started, I do want to recommend a, a recent book that I had recommended to me, uh, Seeing Green by Tilly Delahaye. Uh, but if you ever get the opportunity to go through that, um, I highly recommend that one. But to start out with, let's take a look at when we see this sin here, what is this sin that we, we hear termed envy? We know from Scripture that it slays the simple, as it says in Job chapter 5, verse 2. It drives the people to really become enraged at all the apostles. As you guys were even going through in the morning class, you could see that everywhere that Paul went, an uproar occurred. And oftentimes that uproar was due to the envy that they had. We see that in Acts 13.45 and 17.5. In lists of sins that we see in Scripture, it even precedes murder. In Romans 1.29 and Galatians 5.21. It's something that love doesn't do. Love doesn't envy, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13. And ultimately, this sin, this is the sin that we must abhor because this is the sin that drove the people to kill Christ. So the thing that drove the people to crucify our Messiah is the thing that we must not cling to. So a definition of envy, and this will be a long one. I can give this to you later. I'll shorten it down and condense it. But envy is an emotion that is essentially both selfish and malevolent. It's bad-willed. It is aimed at person and implies dislike of the one who possesses what the envious man himself covets or desires, and a wish to harm him. Graspingness for self and ill will lie at the basis of it. There is in it also a consciousness of inferiority to the person envied and chafing under this consciousness. He who has got what I envy is felt by me to have the advantage of me, and I resent it. As Augustine said, that envy is dissatisfaction with our place in God's order of creation, manifested in begrudging his gifts to others. And the most condensed one I found was from Joe Rigney. Envy is the feeling of unhappiness at the blessing and fortune of others. Now, this sin of envy, it's different than what we see elsewhere for these other similar sins. We might see something such as jealousy, or covetousness, and there's nuances that differentiate it between the two, or the three. 
With jealousy, we'll often have that discomfort and anger when someone wants or threatens what we already have. And that differs there from envy. Envy is something you don't already have. It's something someone else have, and you're angry and you're bitter that someone else has that. Jealousy can actually be something that's good, and we see that oftentimes if God has given you something, you are to be jealous for it. There'll never be a time that envy is good. Covetousness, though, um, uh, to give that definition, is going to be you want something that you don't have. But it lacks that ill will towards someone. It, It doesn't want to cast them down. It's not bitter that they have it. The difference there is with covetousness, you see something that someone else has and you want it. With envy, you don't want anyone to have it. You don't want that person to have whatever blessing it is that they have, and you hate them because they have it. We see it not necessarily defined in these book definitions in Scripture. Where we see it is we see it played out in Scripture as as we see examples of it. I'll read you from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went and he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So put yourself in the the position of those workers. If you were in that position and working throughout the day, and you work the heat of the day, and the person shows up at the end of the day and gets the same pay as you, what's the sinful, natural tendency that that boils up in your, your flesh? That's how we start to define envy we see that someone else has something that you wanted, that you don't think they deserve, and so you don't want them to have it. You'd rather no one have it than for them to have that wonderful blessing. We see the same thing applied with Joseph and his brothers as they sold him into slavery. We see later in Acts chapter 7, verse 9, it says, and the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. So here Joseph was receiving a blessing. He received various things from God. He received blessings even from his own father, and they didn't like that. And so rather than rejoicing with him, 
they would get rid of him. This sin is committed by everyone from the common day laborers that we see here in Matthew all the way to the, the highest people in all authorities. We even see it in Philippians chapter 1, 15 and 16, that even the ministers of the word were envious of even Paul. It says that some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. So there was a reason they were preaching it enviously. They wanted to add affliction to my chains. They didn't rejoice in what God had blessed Paul with, and so they preached out of envy. So when do we see this envy occur in our lives? Well, oftentimes you need to first off know that it's not going to occur with every blessing that everyone ever receives anywhere. Oftentimes you'll need to see that the other person that you envy really needs to be close enough to you that you actually feel a rivalry with him or her. So for example, if there's a professional volleyball player that's competing in the Olympics, you probably are not going to envy that man or that woman doing that. You don't know them. You can actually think, wow, that's, that's a neat skill they have. Where you may envy might be another soprano or another bass, someone close to you. You probably are not going to envy the Queen of England in her power and her prestige, but you might envy a mom that you know that actually has everything together in her home. You're probably not going to envy a race car driver out on the professional NASCAR circuit or in the Indianapolis 500, but you actually may envy another successful man in business or even in the ministry. It's the people that you know and that you're close to, that you have some skill with, something that is in your, your realm, your uh, realm of authority and responsibility. If you're not musical, you're not going to envy musicians. If you're not athletic, you're not going to envy people gifted in that. So it's things that you already have some skill in. That's where you're going to find yourself prone to envy. It affects us in a wide variety of areas. It can affect us in beauty. And so we need to see that and realize and understand what is the temptation there. We know that God gave us physical bodies. We're not like the angels. We don't have just spiritual entities. He gave us things that cast shadows. And so with that, we have to understand that God designed beauty into that. We see in Genesis 12, 11, that Sarah was beautiful in appearance. Queen Vashti in Esther was lovely to look at. And even Rachel, who was beautiful in form and appearance, had a sister who was weak in the eyes. And so there is beauty and there is not beauty. And God has designed this. But we must remember that even beauty is fleeting. It says in Proverbs 31, 30, Beauty is vain. And in 1 Peter 3, we're reminded, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be in the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So as we look forward and look long-term, even into glory, we need to realize that 
even in glory, we're not going to all be identical. You're not going to be a, it will not be a, a mass army of trillions of believers who all, you can't tell one from another. Now, the, the things that are a result of the fall and, and sin, yes, those things God can make right, and he can do those things in our glorified bodies. But other things, differences, to include something such as holes in the hands, they might actually be there in glory because God sees them as beautiful. But there will be those differences, and God has put it there. Where else can we be prone to envy? What about in the intellect, in our education? Now, we don't have a, a high pressure at the Heritage Academy or in the classes here for grades. For those that are, have, have been involved in it, and in, in often in other environments, there is a, a strong pressure to be the, the number one academically because it can mean the difference between a, this job or that job or whatever pride or things that we want. But it can still be a factor even here, so we need to be on guard with it. It can be oftentimes in Reformed churches. Do we ever see the, the opportunity to see someone who is very gifted theologically and to do we get mad at that? Do we get upset at that? Not because we're praising God and saying, wow, he's actually right. That's a wonderful thing. But we go, because I don't have that. Because I'm not the one saying that. Because I'm not the one writing that book. Does that infuriate us? This may or may not be a struggle with you. All of these things, there are going to be different areas where you struggle and where you don't struggle. But in the intellect, remember that you... If you do struggle in this area, you're given your mind and your intellect in a very particular way because Christ has gifted you with that. Whether it be of high intellect or low, realize it's there for you. And always remember that the ultimate standard, even that person that is incredibly gifted in mind, is so far in comparison to the mind of Christ that we're all, all down in the weeds of this. So put that in perspective when you're tempted to envy someone in that area. Money is a classic one that people envy. We see this often in scripture. And why is that? We see that, well, money can buy things. So it's not just the money. It's not just the accumulation of gold and silver in vaults. But it's the things that it buys. And one of those things that it can buy is time. So it opens up opportunities. It opens up the ability to go places and do things. And we see these things, and we can be tempted to envy those. Realize, though, that God doesn't necessarily give these things to people based on rewards for goodness and doesn't give them to people for rewards for badness. As we've gone through the Proverbs, we've seen that these things, we may see diligent people who are materially rich, but that's not always why God uses that. God has different means and motives in mind. Oftentimes, he uses that to test people. Oftentimes, it can be a stumbling block for those that he intends to trip up. And so we have to, to be aware that just because God has blessed someone with something, whether it be money or the things that money buys, it's not necessarily something you need to have. Having the money itself is not in itself a sin. So don't think that by people having that, they're sinning. What they are 
given is an immense opportunity to steward those things. And we see that with the parable of the talents. He gave people differently in that parable. He gave to some five, or to one, five talents, to another two talents, and to another one. These talents were most likely monetary things. You know, it's referenced as a, a unit of measure. But in these talents, he didn't give five to each and said, let's see how you do with it. He gave to one more and to one less. And so that will occur in life, and that's okay, because God's designed it that way. What about in creativity? Can we envy people who are more creative than us? And this, this for me, I don't typically envy that because I'm not very creative in these things. But for others, and that's why there'll often be that, that tidbit of, uh, for those that are, have that spark of creativity, that may be your struggle in all these areas. The ones that have a, a spark of that, you're going to, it will resonate with you as to why this one may be more of a temptation than others. Whether it be in composing music, artwork, poetry, writing, all these various creative things, they're all an opportunity for these artists, these creative people, to tell God's story. And as they go through and tell God's story, we have the temptation to envy that and say, no, why can't I tell God's story the way they're telling God's story? And that sin that, that's lurking in there should be turned on its head. We should see those people that are creatively telling the stories. Uh, one of the most creative person storytellers I've ever met is Mark Robinette. And when you see that, you don't want to have that, that, that evil desire towards him going, I can't believe he's telling stories so well. I wish he'd stop. You want him to tell more. Because he's coming right alongside us as we fight in this fight and as he goes out and he proclaims God's goodness in the way he tells stories. And so as you see other people who are creative in this, whether it's in the music or the other arts, encourage them in it. What about things like competence? People that have diligence or some particular skill. Does that area start to get you riled up and wishing someone didn't have that? And lastly, you know, an area to look at would be relationships. When you see a strong parent-child relationship, a strong sibling relationship, you see others that have lots of friends. Does it cause you to wish that they didn't have those relationships and to wish that they didn't have those friends? Why can't I have those and get angry at that? If it is, realize you're seeing the fruits of that envy popping up in there. We want to have those things. So this is not to say that in all these areas that, that we don't want to be blessed in that area. It's the emotional response that comes from it when someone else has it and you don't have it. That's the area that we're, we're focusing on here. Not that these things are in themselves bad. We want to have good, strong relationships. It's what do you think about the other person who has that good, strong relationship? So in all these areas... The other temptation that we need to guard with is what if you already have these things? So you're not the, uh, the recipient, or you're not the envier in this case, but you might be the one that has these things. You need to also guard against despising those who don't. So guard your hearts in that. If you are given the gift of beauty or intellect, money, this creativity, all these different things, if you have those things, 
Be patient and long-suffering with those who don't. So now that we've seen it more defined and hopefully have an understanding of what is this envy monster that's out there, what do we need to do about it? First off, don't just solve and try to pick the fruit of envy. Because what will happen is, because envy is a secret sin, it's, it's one of these things that's inside of our heart. We know two things from this. One, that there's really no secret sins that God doesn't know. So first off, you need to realize God sees this. But two, you need to realize with any secret sin, secret sins don't stay secret. They will bubble out. What is going on in your heart will naturally work its way out, and it's going to exhibit little flowers, buds, bad flowers, bad buds, all these things growing from this root that's inside, this envy monster. So when you realize that this is going on, what you need to do first off is repent and put on love. When we start seeing all the different applications of love to the envy monster, you'll see that envy can go away by God's grace. So it's, it's not something that we want to look and pick all the little individual bad things that come from it. Look to where the true envy is. So how do we do this? Some, some tips on this. If you're finding yourself envying someone, and you've analyzed this, and you've looked in your heart, and you, you see that envy monster there, Give thanks to God for the success of whoever that person is that you envy. Praise God for that. Pray for that person to give them, that God would give them further success in whatever that is. In all those different areas that we discussed here, and many more, I'm sure that they're out there. Praise God for it, but ask them that God would build them up in this, because if God has given them this gift, it's a gift useful for the body. And so we want to see that flourishing. Enjoy it. If someone writes a wonderful piece of music, don't envy them and be bitter against them because they've done something better than you. Praise God and enjoy that thing that they've done. Take the time to praise them for it. Don't ignore them. Confront them with it. You may not necessarily, if they don't know about this envy, you may not have to publicly confess it to them. But you should at least praise them for it if they have that gift, that talent, whatever God has blessed them with. Realize, though, that the more you do this, the more you love and show love to these people, the less opportunity. There's no crevices left for envy to take root and to hold on. And so stamp it out in love. But realize you can only do this by God's grace. This isn't something you can just go and and run down the checklist and go, yep, done it, done it, done it. You must seek first that God would give you healing from this and that God would turn you to be able to solve this issue in your life. So look for those ways. Look for that, and may the Lord bless you in it as you seek to be made more into the image of his Son. Let's pray. Oh God, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it goes down deep, penetrating even to divide joints and marrow, Yes, even our soul and spirit. Lord, our hearts are factories of evil, factories of secret sins. We've become accustomed to these sins dwelling in our hearts. We've grown content and calloused. Don't let this be so. Show us our secret faults. Reveal to us where we fall short of your glory. Take our hearts of stone 
and give us hearts of flesh that are soft and receptive to your word. Where we envy, Lord, give us repentance. Give us hearts that love one another. And may we never allow these secret sins to take a foothold in our lives. Help us to fight the good fight as we wage war against these inward sins in our lives. Conform us, we pray, into the image of your Son. Go before us now as we go forth this day and guard us and protect us, we pray. For the battles are fierce, but we look forward to the prize that awaits. We pray all this in the glorious name of your Son, who leads us in all things. Amen.